0: Today's episode of Myths and Legends is brought to you by Simply Safe Home Security because home should be the safest place on earth for every family. That's why we use and recommend Simply Safe. It's simple to set up, and customizing the system for our house was a piece of cake. Plus, priced at about a dollar a day, this is peace of mind that everyone should have. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafecom legends. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera, plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafecom legends. Quick disclaimer, on the third story today, there's a fair bit of violence and adult themes, including, but not limited to, suicide, miscarriages, and violence against women please check out the post on MythPodcast.com, also linked in the show notes, for more information if those are of any concern to you. This week, on Myths and Legends, there are three stories of family from Korean folklore. We'll see why frogs croak. Spoiler, it's because they're terrible to their mothers. And also, that if the last 15 people who took a job died, their coworkers might be a little reluctant to change the stationery. The creature this week is why... If your exciting new significant other has a cauldron of blood, you might just want to get out of there. This is Myths and Legends, episode 280, Family Matters. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are three fairy tales from Korean folklore that explore family dynamics with varying degrees of horror and tragedy. On the first, we'll jump into the story of a frog mother, who's having a very very difficult time disciplining her son. (laughs) Sometimes I think you just do the opposite of what I want you to do, the mother frog said to the child frog. No, I don't, the child said reflexively. I love to obey you. I'm all about obedience. He crossed his slimy little frog arms. Uh, okay then. Take out the trash, the mom asked. Nope, not gonna do it, the frog said, sitting back and putting his little flippers up on the good couch. The mother face flippered and sighed. Okay. Now she forbade him from touching the trash. Do not take it to the outside can and put that can by the curb. You can't stop me, the child frog shouted. I'm going to take the trash out and there's nothing you can do about it. He said and took the trash out. For the frog mom, in addition to providing for their little family, being a single frog mother and avoiding predators, this constant disobedience from her frog son only compounded the stress in her life. Every single thing was a fight. The reverse psychology worked, but she really just wanted her son to see that she wasn't trying to control his life. She just needed help, and she wanted to help him grow into a responsible adult frog, capable of living without her. That day, sadly, came before either of them thought it would. You always think you have more time, until you don't the frog mom became sick. It was absolutely the stress of everyday life, but the story says it was her son's constant quarreling that pushed her over the edge. She became ill, and he refused to help out, even in her time of need. He thought she was just messing with him, just manipulating him. She would be fine. She was always fine. Then, the day came. The mother still in bed, called to her son. He rolled his eyes and came over. What was it? She said, today is the day. This was where she would leave him. He groaned. Okay, she was being a little overdramatic, wasn't she? She coughed. She said, when it came time to bury her, she wanted to be buried by the flowing stream. Definitely don't bury her in a quiet mountain grove among the flowers she loved so much. The frog child shook his head and said she was going to be fine, for real, cut it out. The frog mother said she loved him. She always had and always would. Someday, she hoped, he would realize that. She closed her eyes. Okay, mom, the frog child said, and left the room. He returned that evening to tell her that he was going out, with those friends that she didn't like. He probably wouldn't be back before 1 a.m., so, you know, take that. She didn't respond. He poked his head into the room. He left the kitchen a mess, too. His frog laundry was everywhere. She didn't even open her eyes. Mom? The wailing could be heard throughout the swamp. The child frog didn't care. He didn't care what the other frogs thought of him, didn't care about predators. He only cared about his mom. She was gone. She was gone and he had been terrible to her. He knew this was his fault, that he had worried her constantly with his disobedience, his anger. He had added to her stress in her time of need and now she was dead. No more. From this day forward, he would be different. He would be responsible. He would respect her memory and he would start by honoring her final request. If you couldn't guess, the frog mother's final request was worded in such a way so that the frog child would do the opposite. She wanted to be buried in a serene mountain grove. She didn't want to and shouldn't be buried next to a stream. It was hard to dig a deep enough hole in the wet dirt and she risked being washed away every time the rain caused the river to swell and wear away the banks. The young frog realized all of those things as he was burying his mother, but he wouldn't disobey her last request. He would become the type of frog she would be proud to call son, even if it was too late. So, he buried her, and a few weeks later, the rain poured down, and the river swelled. The young frog tossed and turned in the impeccably tidy little frog apartment his frog bills paid he couldn't sleep for worrying about his mother there by the riverside, that the water would unearth her body and take her away. Finally, he went to stand watch. And so, when it rains, you can still hear the green frog down by the riverside, croaking in anguish and fear, begging the river not to take his mother away from him again, but not daring to move her and disobey her final request, because he truly had changed even if his mother would never see. This one was kind of sad. It's kind of crushing to think that the mother and son, who would have gotten along, couldn't exist together. That she died before seeing how much the young frog truly loved her. Admittedly, the original is a little brutal, and was probably told by the parent I it was the frog's disobedience that directly led to his mother getting stressed out and dying. So he had that little extra guilt and clear causal link. The story is kind of an illustration of the idea that we don't know how much time we're gonna have with people. So, try to love and understand people while they're still here. And also, children, if you disobey your parents, you will literally kill them and live with that anguish for the rest of your days, so go to bed. The next story today begins with a human going to ask his brother's family for some food and it does not go well. Ugh, you come here begging for food, Hyung Boo's sister-in-law sneered. She raised the spoon with rice stuck to it as a threat. Hung Boo better get out of here. Before his brother came home. Hungbu said, please. His family was starving, and she and Nolbu had so much after he took the lion's share of their father's inheritance. Hungbu's sister-in-law had enough and slapped him across the face with the spoon. She had warned him. Hungbu raised his hand and scraped some of the rice off as his sister-in-law raised the spoon again in warning. Later on that evening, Heung-bu arrived back home with his hands full of cooked rice. He piled it on his kids' plates, but then he had to sit down. He could barely see, his face was so swollen. He did get rice from his brother's house, little by little. As it came off his sister-in-law's spoon, onto his face as she beat him, it was enough to get through this day. Nolbu, the brother, had maneuvered their sick father's wishes in his final days so that Nolbu got everything. Hungbu had been angry about it at first, but he realized how sad and sick his brother must be to do such a thing and leave Hungbu's family in such dire straits. Hungbu would rather have the life he did, struggling to get by with people who loved him than be rich and angry at the world. Of course, he would rather be at peace with his brother and have enough to eat, but at his age, he had begun to realize just how rare miracles actually were. Still, Hung Bu liked to help when he could. For instance, he found a swallow on the road with a broken leg. It was just a baby. Hung Bu took it back home, wrapped a string around its leg, bracing it on a stick, and rubbed ointment on the leg so it would heal. When it did, he placed the baby swallow back in the nest and didn't give it another thought. Until the spring, when a similar-looking swallow flew by, and dropped a gourd seed. Hung Bu had been out in the garden, and waved hello to the bird, who chirped a bit, and flapped off north. Hung Bu picked up the seed, shrugged, and planted it. Hung Bu knew that there was something special about the seed, when it sprouted a day later, and then, when a gourd thudded to the ground, in under a week. There were three of them in all, and they were massive. The family looked at them, all right, they guess they should cut into them. They chopped into the first one and rice came out. Way too much rice, actually. Hung Bu ran for some baskets. They filled five containers and the gourd kept spilling rice out onto the ground. Hungbu ran it around to his neighbors and topped off most of the neighborhood before the gourd ran dry. Hungbu returned home and looked at the other two gourds. This one had solved nearly all the problems his family had. What could possibly being the other two. A lot, as it turned out. The second one contained more gold than the first one had rice. And when the family began to wonder where they were going to put it all, the question was answered by the third gourd and the fairy foreman. Well, there were two bottles, a red and a blue. The fairy and all the lumber came out of the red bottle. And an entire team of human carpenters came out of the blue bottle. They all worked through the night. And in the morning, a grand mansion stood in the location of Hung Bu's family’s old shack. Nobu came around a few weeks later when he heard that his brother had somehow joined him in wealth, despite Nobu doing everything possible to keep that from happening, Hungbu greeted him with kindness, and after Nolbu’s incessant demands to know how this happened, Hungbu told him about the sparrow with the broken leg. "Now, you could wait for a hurt bird to cross your path... or you could be an absolutely terrible person, like Nobu, go to a nest, and snap the tiny leg of a swallowed chick like a toothpick. He took the crying bird inside and helped to heal the injury that, yeah, he himself had caused. Still, it must have worked, because when spring came around, a seed fell in Nobu's garden. He wasted no time planting it, and in a week, he had three massive gourds. Nobu rubbed his hands together took his knife, and cut into the gourd. And the gourd cut back. Not with knives, that might have actually been better. A team of stick-wielding imps pushed from the hole and beat Nolbu mercilessly. No matter how many imps his wife pulled off her husband, more came out of the gourd and set in on his face and body. Eventually, they just got tired and wandered off. And Nolbu struggled to his feet. He grabbed some cloth and wiped away the blood. Well, That was horrible. He picked the knife back up. So, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but if you cut open a magic gourd and a team of imps clamor out to beat you senseless, maybe let it go. You don't need to know what's in the other two gourds. Nolbu, though, knew that there was a chance that the second gourd contained gold. Sure, he didn't need the gold. He had cheated his brother out of his inheritance and controlled all of their late father's business. He was doing fine, But the thing about greed, there's no such thing as fine. As enough. Nobu cut into the second gourd and braced himself. There weren't any imps this time. There were only overworked public employees and a ton of paperwork. Nobu sat back. Papers, like deeds to his new mansions and stuff? Turned out, no. They were debts. Nobu looked over the papers. He never took this money out. One of the men who had emerged from the gorge shrugged. These papers said he did, and he had to pay up. A quick yell to his attorney in the bank, and yeah, those debts were due. Didn't matter that Noel Blue didn't remember taking them on, or that he didn't actually take them on. They were due. The collector returned with two scary-looking guys. It was time to pay. Either he paid what the paper said, or they would take his house and beat him up. It was a major hit to his finances, but Nolblue paid up to avoid several major hits to his face. The collector and his goons left. Now, if the first gourd contains imps with sticks and the second contains paperwork that drains your savings, just leave, well, well, not well enough alone. Just leave completely horrible alone. Of course, Nolblue couldn't do that. There could be something in the third gore to make him even richer. With the first Nick water began spraying out of the gourd. And it stunk. Nobu tried to cover up the gourd. But that only made it worse when he was soaked, when the water broke through and hit him like a fire hose, pinning him to the back wall of his house in a torrent, in what can only be described as toilet water. Used toilet water. When the gourd finally stopped, it was ruined. All of it was ruined. The house, everything inside, everything they owned, it was all soaked through with toilet water. Nolbu went to his neighbors, begging for a place to sleep that night, but he only found shut doors. Turns out he was as terrible to everyone else as he was to his brother, and also he stunk. He was covered in toilet water. Water still flowing from their house, the pair had nothing, and then they sighed. <laughs> Look, you have no reason to help me. I understand. Especially when we've been terrible to you with the beatings and the laughter and just everything with dad. Nolbu stood before his brother. He said he wasn't there for help. He didn't deserve that. After the way that he had treated Hungbu, he was only here to tell his brother that he understood how the man felt. And if he could go back and do it differently, he would. He... Was sorry. Before he could turn and leave, Nolbu stepped forward and hugged the man. That was all he wanted. That was all he ever wanted. For his brother to understand, to care, to look back on his life, to see the error of his ways and be different. Hungbu would be happy to help his brother. Hungbu and his family had more than they could ever use now, anyway. Hungbu did what Nolbu wouldn't and divided his fortune with his brother evenly. Reunited, They lived happily and in abundance, better off together than they ever were at odds with each other. I always like stories that end with people getting along. This one was reminiscent of The Tongue-Cut Sparrow, but... Unlike a lot of these types of stories, you don't have the mean brother dying or being dragged off by monsters, but apologizing, growing as a person, and sharing a happy life with his extended family. The next story today will begin with some tragedy, but that will be right after this. say it is not sad to die. It is inevitable for all of us. She must have done some bad things in a previous life to get so sick, to die so young, to leave such wonderful girls and a dutiful husband behind. These were the things that Rose Flower and Red Lotus overheard at their mother's funeral. All were meant to be a comfort, some were more than others, but nothing changed the fact that the girl's mother was gone. The sickness had been merciful in its cruelty. It took her quickly, but the weeks had seen her go from a vibrant, active young woman to pale and unable to move in bed. Consolations on the inevitability of death and the idea that their mother was such a terrible sinner to have such a premature fate were, to put it lightly, cold comfort to the girls. The father prayed He hoped the woman he loved would have a peaceful passing. That her weary soul, no doubt burdened by the fact that she was leaving her daughters without a guide, would find rest. Somewhere, deep in his heart, he tried to believe. Tried to believe in reincarnation. That there was something more. It was all he could do to have hope that maybe she would be reincarnated into another person. That they could meet. Fall in love somehow, she wasn't truly gone. He looked to his girls, weeping over their mother. They would have no one to guide them, the way she had. There had been something both he and his late wife knew, but never talked about. Sons, uh, a son, the bloodline. The father was the last male in his line. His name died with him if he didn't have a son. He loved his girls, and though he was disgusted at the size of relief that came from his distant relations at the funeral, the hushed discussions that now, finally, he can remarry a young woman and try again for a son. The late wife was obviously cursed, I mean, look what happened to her. The husband wouldn't court such talk. But even among the more tactful relations, there was a thought, an expectation, that he would remarry, that he would carry on the family name, there were things that were bigger than his love for his late wife and his pain regarding her loss. So, a few weeks later, he began talking with this family member and that. It wasn't difficult to find a mother willing to shove her daughter forward to marry a rich merchant from a good family. And the father did remarry. In under five years, the pair had three sons. The father would never be as happy as he was with his first wife. He had accepted that, but with this second one, he had done his duty to his family and continued the name. Even better, his second wife loved Rose Flower and Red Lotus almost as much as the boys. In reality, she was just skilled at hiding the bruises. The girls had been young when they lost their mother, old enough to remember, but young enough to believe what they were told about her they had been dropped into the power of a young woman that didn't despise them, not at first, but then she saw how the father doted on them, how he remembered the first love of his youth wistfully, how they were the product of that love, and a constant reminder of what the second wife knew she would never have. But she had given him sons, she had picked up the pieces of what the other woman left behind, and yet there was an area of his heart, of his life, ...that would be forever closed to her, it wasn't fair. So, the girls grew up. The memory of their mother was slowly poisoned. She was a bad woman who got what she deserved and their father was happy right now. If the girls said anything, well, they'd be just like their mother, making their father unhappy. They saw the tears and they didn't want that, did they? In addition to being every parent's nightmare... This twisted logic from the woman, who completely controlled their lives, worked on the girls. So, they said nothing. In fact, they pretended to like working long hours in the cold, and said that they were happy to have their stepmother in their life. That made their father happy, which was what made them happy. Still, the girls and the father drifted apart. No longer did they sit and talk like they had when their mother was still around. Rose Flower didn't look at him sideways with a sly grin, before running off to do something mischievous or mess with him. She barely seemed to smile at all. The father wondered if that was just part of growing up, accepting that things were never quite what you'd hoped they'd be. Years passed. The sons grew up under the close care of the mother, and with the stepmother managing the house with such complete control, the father roamed farther and farther for his business, spending more time away from home. Everyone was cruel to the daughters in his absence, but the daughters persisted. There was an end in sight, and for Roseflower, it wasn't far off. While running to the village one day, she met a young man. Then, she jumped at all the chances to make the miles-long journey to carry whatever she needed to all hours of the day and night. Soon, When the father returned, she had news. The young man in town, from a respectable family himself, had proposed. The father nodded and, with tears in his eyes, congratulated his daughter. He was so happy for her. He was sad that she wouldn't be living under the same roof as them anymore. But he always knew this day would come. They would throw the grandest, most expensive wedding this village had ever seen, He knew that somehow his love, the girl's mother, would be watching through it all, that she would be honored, that she would know how missed she was. When he said that, the stepmother stormed from the room. The father shrugged. Let's celebrate. That night, The father found the stepmother. Hey there, so, fun news. In addition to all the other stuff she had going on, she was now the party planning committee. Yay! So yeah, just plan and cater a whole wedding for his eldest daughter. The stepmother grimaced. The father should really know. Know what? Well, she said, brushing his hair behind his ear. Um, wow. She wished she wasn't the one to have to say this, but uh, there had been rumors. The father cocked his head. Rumors? The woman nodded, yeah. She didn't believe them, but he should know. Him being away all the time, he probably had no idea what people were saying about Roseflower. But uh, no, never mind. He didn't want to hear such terrible rumors about his daughter and that boy that she was set to marry. The father nodded. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's right. He didn't want to. If they were just rumors, he wouldn't even hear them. In fact, he loved his daughters no matter what. Night. He rolled over and went to sleep. The stepmother sat up. Uh, Huh. Okay. That didn't go as planned. She waited until he began snoring. Okay. Backup plan. In the middle of the night, the stepmother screamed. The father shot up. What was it? The woman shook her head. She had a terrible dream. It was about Roseflower. There was a scream from Roseflower in Red Lotus's room. The father's feet pounded on the wood as he rushed to his daughter's aid. Roseflower sat up in bed. Roseflower sat up in the sheets, looking with horror at what was in the bed, where her legs had been. It was a bloody mass. The stepmother gasped. Oh. Oh no. Roseflower had miscarried. The stepmother watched, trying to hide a smile as Roseflower's father grasped all that was happening. He studied what was in the bed. He looked up to his daughter. Roseflower? The stepmother shook her head. Well, the wedding couldn't take place now, there would be so much talk. She would have to hide here, in the house, for a long, long time. I mean, after all, what future was there for her now? The father, in his almost rigid stillness, couldn't say anything. Dad, I've never, that's, that's not mine. Don't you believe me? The stepmother took the father into her arms. He didn't reply. The daughter burst into tears and ran from the room, ran from the house. The stepmother turned to her eldest son. Follow her. Make sure she doesn't do anything drastic. Roseflower's tears rippled the pond. Her father didn't believe her and the news would spread. She was trapped forever in the house with that woman. She sat doubled over, her body racked with sobs. She was gonna be sick. Then she heard a noise behind her. She wiped her eyes and snot with the palm of her hand and turned. She gasped at what she saw. Oh no. Just then, she heard another noise coming from the path. She saw him. Her half-brother was walking with purpose toward her. She rose and rushed over to the boy. They had to leave it. But he cut her off when he grabbed her neck. It was part shock, part confusion. But Rose Flower didn't begin fighting back until she was in the pond. She scratched and she bit. She tried to break the fingers that held her down. But it was too much. In minutes... Roseflower stopped fighting, the darkness took her, she was gone. The brother pulled his hand from the water and inspected the deep gashes. He shook his head, he didn't know how he was going to explain this. It turned out that he wouldn't have to. What Roseflower saw that prompted her to run from the pond came for her brother. The family heard the screams from the house, the screams and the snarls. By the time they were able to get out to the forest with a few spears, most of the brother's arm was gone. The stepmother and the father both wailed when they saw what waited for them in the forest. Not as much as they would wail though. The brother fell into a deep malaise which, uh, he's a murderer so kind of serves him right. Tigers don't usually attack humans, so he thought it was divine justice for what he had done for his mother. His mother, being a roundly terrible person decided that she should just give up on finding a match or helping the oldest son at all and essentially disowned him. He passed the rest of his days in the house of his father in a profound sadness that his mother, whose love he had done this for, had deserted him in this time of need. But once again, he's a cold-blooded murderer, so don't feel too bad for him. The father, however, was not taking things well. First his first wife, now his eldest daughter. Everyone grieves differently, but unfortunately, the father grieved alone. He didn't see that his younger daughter was suffering, both under the hand of the stepmother and out of grief for her sister. Feeling like she could take no more and having no one to turn to, she found her way to the pond in the forest, entered the water and did not emerge. We'll take a quick break, and the end of the story will be right after this. The deputy mayor walked the brand new mayor through the building. This is the break room, no fish please. Uh, this is the fitness room, oh, and here's your office. The mayor looked at it. Hmm. He noticed that the nameplate didn't say his name, In fact, it was the man's name who had ruled over this area, what, eight mayors ago? So, about four and a half months. Could he get maintenance up here to change that around? The deputy mayor smiled. We could, but then we'd have to do that for everyone, wouldn't we? Let's just kind of wait and see, All right, Wait and see if I die, right? The mayor asked. The deputy raised up his hands. Whoa, hey, your words, uh, not mine. You could choose to quit like the last three mayors, who ran screaming into the night. They still died, though. So I guess, yeah, wait and see if you die. Look, I am sorry about this. You were appointed to this position. You don't want to be here either. I wasn't appointed, the new mayor said, sitting down behind the desk. I volunteered. The deputy said, oh, that's bad. Why would you do that? I don't fear death, the mayor replied. The deputy said, yeah, neither did he, but his job has a 100% mortality rate. The mayor would have a better chance walking directly off a cliff. No one knew what was going on, and that's why I'm here, the mayor interrupted. There was something going on in this town. There was that incident a few months back, with both of those young women. Then the tiger attack, and after that, there had been an unrelenting string of dead mayors. The deputy nodded, yeah, he knew that this town was cursed. Everyone who could leave had. The rest were hunkered down, tied to their ancestral land. No one trusted or talked to one another. So something is wrong and maybe I can do something about it. The mayor said, whoever or whatever it is keeps targeting the mayor. So maybe the mayor can do something about it. I think that when you can do something, you should. And I'm here to help. The deputy was kind of shocked. Wow. Okay. He actually kind of liked this guy. I mean, it helped that he wasn't running in urine soaked terror from the job, so that was a plus. The mayor didn't sleep. It usually happened on the first night, according to the stories. The town went to bed, and then the next morning, the mayor was found dead, or he ran from his residence and was found later. Regardless, it all ended the same way. But it would keep ending the same way, unless someone did something. That someone was the mayor. That something was, well, he didn't know he was going to see. The story says that a gust of wind blew out the candle. The air became damp and filled with screams and moans and all the windows and doors shut. Before the mayor, two girls, floating as if in a pond, still dripping, materialized. It was Roseflower and Red Lotus. The mayor stood. Ghost girls. Ghost girls screaming for justice. Hi, yes, I get it, justice, very good, the mayor said, cutting them off. Roseflower and Red Lotus stopped all the spooky moaning. Their hair lowered, so it wasn't floating anymore. No one had ever done more than scream at them. If you're so into justice, why have you killed all the mayors? The new mayor asked. The girls looked at each other. Killed? They didn't kill anyone. The previous mayor simply couldn't handle the sight of them. They died from fear. The mayor sat down. Okay, that's not great, but better. Uh, Did they think it was because, I don't know... The girls were coming on a little strong. The girls' hair rose again. They hungered for justice and... Yeah, no, yeah, I got it. You want justice, the mayor replied. The need for justice has been super established. They probably could have toned down the theatrics, though. That was a bit much. Now, did they want to talk it through without all the moaning and scary screams and stuff? He might be able to help them. Roseflower explained that they were trapped. They were trapped between worlds because they had died in anguish. Rose Flower had been framed by her stepmother, and her stepbrother had murdered her. The mayor said that he could actually help with that. The girl said that that's literally why they appeared before and subsequently accidentally killed, like a dozen previous mayors. The mayor replied that he would need help. Could they prove what they said? If so, they would be held up in honor. And their killer would be brought to justice. Roseflower nodded. She actually could. The stepmother moved in front of the mayor. Hey, she noticed him out here in the graveyard. Weird. Uh, His men came asking about the body of her stepdaughter and the fetus. That was super private, so... The mayor nodded to the guards with him, and they restrained the stepmother. He pointed to the ground. It was a rat. The quote-unquote fetus that the girl had miscarried in the night. It was a skinned rat that the stepbrother had planted in the bed. Some awesome detective work back then, guys. Really, top-notch. It was an open and shut case after that. The son turned on his mother for her vitriol and mistreatment of him after he lost his arm doing her dirty work. That testimony, in addition to the mayors with the ghosts and whatnot, I guess that was admissible, meant that the stepmother and stepson were convicted and sentenced to death by exile, which it's not like they had the internet in that time and this doesn't appear to be an outlaw thing like in Iceland where they could be hunted legally So, I'm not super sure what would keep the mother and son from Don drapering on over a few towns, changing their names, and living completely different lives. Regardless, the daughters, I guess, considered it as being given justice. Their name was restored, and they only ever appeared one more time. The father had been cleared of all charges. His only crime was being an absentee fairy-tale dad, and they're almost never held accountable for their inaction. With his daughters gone and his second wife and stepson exiled. He was raising his other two boys alone. The years passed, and without the ghosts killing mayors every other weekend, the town grew again. Some new faces arrived, and the father met someone. She knew his past, and he got the feeling that she wasn't the type to try to murder people she didn't like. Low bar, of course, but he had failed spectacularly before, so you can never be too careful. He married again, and on the night of his wedding, he had a dream. They were his girls, Roseflower and Red Lotus. They were just as they had been in life. The father broke down. He ran over to them, dropping to his knees and kissing their hands. He was so sorry. He failed them. He was supposed to watch over them and protect them and care for them, and he left them in the care of that horrible person. He begged them for their forgiveness, though he didn't deserve it. They told him to rise. They wouldn't forgive him because there was nothing to forgive. Nothing was his fault, which, eh, maybe. They had come back for this final time with news. Since they were young and had lived pure lives, they would be reincarnated very quickly back into human forms. The father embraced his girls. That was wonderful. He wished them the best lives possible. He could only pray that, someday, they would meet again. The father awoke with tears in his eyes. A few months after that, the father and his new wife learned that they were pregnant, and several more months after that, discovered that they were twins, twin girls. The new mother nodded at the father, as he handed her the baby girls. He could do it. He named them Rose Flower and Red Lotus. They were merely names, though, to honor the past and hope for the future. They were just names until one day, when little Roseflower was four, she looked at her father sideways with a sly grin before rushing off, just like Roseflower had. The father had to sit down. It was true. It was all true. Everything he had wanted to believe about reincarnation. His girls, his girls had come back to him. The father knew that he didn't deserve them. As he watched young Rose Flower and Red Lotus play, he looked up to the sky, knowing that he was truly blessed. Together, they all had a second chance. He, to be the father they deserved, And the girls to grow up into the people they were always supposed to be. They would live in love, unburdened by the horrors of their past. His girls had returned to him. He was so grateful. The story took a while to get where it was going, but it ultimately ended up in a good place. The father in one of these stories actually acknowledged his guilt and apologized to his daughters, even though the story didn't really accept it. Still, it's a nice change of pace from Cinderella-like stories, where the dad always seems to get off scot-free. I do like how the story doesn't pull punches, even though things can get quite brutal. There is no escaping the wrath of the stepmother and no coming back with some magical potion like a grim story. It was surprising how the story kept upping the ante. We had a little fun with the mayor, but I think there's a lesson there too. He came and confronted the past, the trauma of that area, and helped the people move on, even when it put him in great personal danger. It wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do. Next week, there are some grim stories, with characters going to the Dark Tower. If you're looking for something else to listen to, there's a new episode of Scoundrel Out, another podcast Chris and I are doing with Cast Media, and we tell the story of Belle Starr and explore whether she was truly the mastermind, Old West bandit queen that the stories describe her as, or someone pulled along by circumstance, just trying to make the best choices for herself and her family. You can find that by following the link in the show notes or by searching for Scoundrel wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this time is Linam Shi from the Isle of Man. Now, if you have a friend you haven't seen in a while, and he shows up looking pale and weak, and kind of like someone has been feeding on his blood for months on end, and making him write bad poetry, I mean, that's a warning sign right there, but if he tries to set you up with his invisible girlfriend, run. The Linam Shi is a type of vampiric fairy creature, who appears as a beautiful young woman to those she targets, and she tries to seduce men. For those who are able to resist her, she strangles and exsanguinates them. They, sadly, are the ones who get away easy. All the other guys become her... special friend. While she and the men are... together, if you know what I mean, and if you don't, don't worry about it. They're just hanging out, having a nice conversation. Anyway, while they're together, she will take a tiny bit of blood each time to put in her blood cauldron. Also, if you didn't know, your significant other owning a blood cauldron is also a big red flag. Anyway, she gets her power from the blood cauldron. Her power to stay young and beautiful, maintain control over those she targets, and turn into a white deer, because, sure. Sometimes she gives her men a bit of blood too, and they're inspired to write love poetry. I guess because it's nice to feel wanted, even if you've entrapped and enthralled someone into being with you. There are two ways out if you find yourself enamored with a violent vampire. The first is… the bad way and also probably a metaphor for an unhealthy relationship. Spend enough time with the vampire and you'll be a, quote, used up husk of your former self, dead inside and out. The second is to introduce her to her next special friend, probably someone you don't care about too much, and then get out of there as quickly as possible. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music we used in the show notes. Myths and Legends is a registered trademark of Bardic Enterprises, LLC. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.